you do ask like in such a short time, like how much can be accomplished, but you could see, um, like things did come out of it. And I think, uh, it, it also was kind of for better or worse, a healthy reminder of, you know, this doesn't stop. Um, episode 16, we're back. Back in Mallory. Episode 16, a Mad Mage podcast. Here we are. Who do we have? Sure. Before I even get into all that, I just want to start this uh, this episode off by just saying a quick, you know, RIP to Chadwick Boseman. Um, a true king right there that has had a huge impact on black culture. So definitely want to start with that before we get into everything. Just kind of yeah. setting, that, setting that tone. Um, but yeah, for episode 16, uh, season two, we got a very special guest. I feel like we say that a lot, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but I don't think we're going to invite anyone on here if they weren't special. So every guest is every guest is special in their own way. Um, So we have a special guest who's a a good friend of mine. We got Jerome Chang, a.k.a. Black Dragon Roll. Say what's up, Jerome. (laughs) What's up? (laughs) How are you guys doing? We're good, man. Uh, man. Thanks for having me. No, no, it's uh, it's a pleasure being here. I think uh, I hound you every now and then jokingly. I'm like. Okay, so when are we going to talk about this on the podcast? But um, yeah. no, no, I'm I'm happy that I have been classified in this special group to be a part of this now. You've invited yourself. I did. I really did. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't sound like the kind of thing a special friend or a close friend would say about me introing me on a podcast. I'm just saying. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is true. Should we restart uh, this? Is that what we should do? No, okay. <laughs> no, we, we we keep the ball rolling, man. We keep um, it rolling. Jerome, Jerome, tell the people, uh, you know, a bit who you are, kind of what you do. Mm -hmm. um, And then also, you know, talk about like, you know, how things have been during COVID as well, if you want to just set the tone a bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, So to start off, I'm a creative producer with Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, um, which means I work in the video production team, uh, mainly focused on Toronto FC, but have also done a bunch of work around with the Raptors and the other teams under the, uh, the company. Um, I'm mainly a producer, but I kind of came up in doing shooting and editing and I still do that quite frequently from time to time, but it's, uh, it's been an adjustment doing it during this time. I think, uh, people have been talking about, you know, how zoom has been their way of communication. Well, that's kind of been our way of production for a good long time Mm. before, the city started opening up and we had the ability to actually shoot things again. But for a long time, all the content that we did were basically Zoom calls that we would kind of package and produce into full items. And it was only when, you know, leagues started coming back and, you know, the province moving into different phases that we had different openings. And interestingly enough, uh, you're talking about how COVID has been. I think my experience working from home has been very similar to most people. Uh, right now, but in the recent week or two, ever since Toronto FC came back into play again, doing their Canadian uh, games, we actually have been part of a group of people who, because they needed to be close to the team often, we actually test for COVID every other day right now at the BMO training grounds. And wow. uh, But it's actually kind of opened up the opportunity that we can work in the office space. And it's kind of created, I think, not just peace of mind, but almost as, as sure as you can be about anyone during this time that everyone who you are in contact with at the training grounds are have been tested have been practicing 
best practices. So we, I actually work in an office space a couple of times a week now. And in a way that feels more normal than I think about as normal as you can get. Obviously, it's not a full space, but there's a handful of us. And again, knowing that we test all the time, it's created a lot of comfort in terms of us interacting with each other. We wear our masks as much as we can and keep our distance as much as we can. But we also know um, just because of all the precautions we're taking that it's about as safe as I think you can be during this time. We essentially created our own mini bubble. Yeah, that's legit, man. Like, I know safety is such a big thing for a lot of, you know, uh, companies right now, especially when it comes to like moving back into an office space. Like, mm-hmm. I know several friends who work at other agencies, uh, kind of similar to me. And, you know, we don't even see ourselves going back probably until the, you know, the new year kind of thing. Right. So, and when we do go back, you know, there's going to be a bunch of questions around, you know, do we wear masks when we're in meeting rooms? Do we have to sit six feet apart? Like all those kinds of things that make it just like, geez, like it's hard to control such a larger, I guess, larger population or a larger agency. But it's like, I can't even imagine doing something like that right now. It's weird. Um, yeah, no, no, it's entirely to your point because... I will say, even though I'm doing this right now, I'm only comfortable doing it because I'm doing it in a space where I know everyone is basically doing the exact same stuff I'm doing. Yeah. I think like any of us, we probably have come across, um, like we, we've probably all been having to fill in surveys for our respective companies in terms of asking and answering questions about what is our kind of comfort level about going back to the office. And when I did that for the general MLSC office, everything in my responses were really more around... I don't know that I'll ever feel comfortable about going back to a larger office space without knowing that a vaccine is there and also widely uh, distributed. Mm-hmm. But without that, I mean, it unfortunately, you can't control you know what everyone is doing around you. And I think yeah. when it comes to especially this stage of COVID where we're in phase three, and I think you guys are talking about it on one of the most recent episodes, it, there really is a spectrum of what people consider is safe and kind of a best practice. And I think for the most part, nobody is really wrong in it, but everyone does have a different comfort level. And so yeah. uh, for me, I, I mean, I really kind of require something like what we're doing right now with our kind of mini TFC bubble uh, to to feel comfortable working in a space. But I know if it came down to kind of working into our downtown offices, I don't know that I'd be equally comfortable doing that, even though I, if I know like I've been tested and I've been okay, you know, mm-hmm. um, it just changes the whole environment and it's a lot less controlled. Yeah. And that's, a, that's the tough part, right? Cause it's like, at least where you're at right now, like, you know, the people around you are getting tested every other day. Like you were saying, like, that's mm-hmm. amazing. Like for, for me or for like a lot of other people probably in similar positions to me, like you were saying before, you can't really control what everybody is doing. So it's like, yeah. uh, okay, sure, we're taking all the precautions and everything, but like we don't really know, you know, to your point, the comfort levels between people differentiate, right? So it's like they're probably like the people who are a bit more on the ex- extreme side are probably going out, having fun, you know, but like putting a mask on and using hand sanitizer while some other people are just like staying at home and completely isolating. And I think those like that spectrum is is really crazy when you think about like returning to an office space and being around people of different comfort levels without the notion of getting tested every other day. It just seems like a bit of a a, a bit of a gap to me. But anyways, 
That's definitely interesting, though, the fact that um, they're testing every other day. Like, I, 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 when you were mentioning that, I kind of thought, I wonder if, like, every other company could implement that, but it would just be, it'd be, logistically, it would, it would be way too much, I think, for, like, the regular um, startup or something to to have testing on the level that Toronto FC is able to accommodate, you know, yeah. like private doctors and stuff like that. So for definitely sure. not a reality for everyone else. Yeah. I mean, and that's also kind of like the thing that they're talking about when they have those Orlando bubbles, whether it was for MLS or for NBA, um, they, they were testing all the time. And obviously when you look at the larger scope of how things are operating within the U S or even within Canada, that, sort of ability is not available and i know there have been questions about whether like the ethical side about it i think one thing that has come really great out of the nba side is because they were doing so many tests it also created so many research opportunities that they were discovering new methods of testing and new methods of discovering uh or like at least um uh determining like results from it uh compared to how it used to be before because i'll say i mean i was really only getting my first tests when I started um, joining uh, with Toronto FC and right now at least like we're they're not necessarily going like deep into your uh, nasal cavity anymore right yeah like it's it's wild but um, clearly they have figured out other ways that they can detect it without having to do that and I think because of the way the pandemic worked and how quickly uh, some places were to react uh, we also were figuring out how to treat it and diagnose it Mm-hmm. Uh, over this time too yeah because i actually haven't even been um like i've never gone for the test but i've just seen it online where they're just shoving that stick up your nose and i'm like there's no way like that that was like a deterrent <laughs> for me where i'm like i'm not going anywhere because i don't want to be in a position where i have to take that test you know i've gone to the it's like not that bad it's weird but like okay. yeah it's not that bad it's just a little bit of a I don't know. We don't need to spend too much time. <laughs> right, right, right. But um, I'm good. I'm good to go, guys. Yeah, straight up. Um, so definitely, Jerome, we want to have you here. You know, you're you're big in the NBA space. You're famous on Twitter, NBA Canada, all of that. I don't know if that's the case, but I'll, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> with everything, with everything going on, I even hate saying that those words, but. I've started now saying that. That, that phrase is really interesting, especially for podcasts, uh, like a podcast like this. Um, yeah. I mean, from the way that you guys will inevitably go through like all the different brands and advertisements and just messaging that goes around, like you're finding the same level of messaging or the same types of phrases all the time. And, yeah. and it's actually kind of been in some ways a barometer in terms of, kind of understanding what level of comfort a brand is to speak openly or kind of speak very vaguely. And then yeah. you get all those questions about, you know, whether it's performative, whether it's sincere. Um, We're here for you. Yeah. <laughs> right. <I know>. yeah. <laughs> Unprecedented, like this is an unprecedented, unprecedented podcast right now. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Straight up. Another yeah, yeah. good one of these is like, a, like a catchphrase is like, I got this email from like this, I don't know, from a, a store that I bought like socks at once, like two years ago or something. Yeah. And they're right. like, they're like, the subject line of the email was, we're keeping you safe. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, like my socks are, I just, <laughs> it's that type of language where I'm like, at least like make it a little bit more pointed and, and say like, you know, when you come into our stores, we're here, the, here are the ways that we're keeping you safe. 
Um, but like, it's like, it's not like the way that it was positioned was like, Oh yeah. By putting on these socks, I feel like so comforted and safe. Like it's just, I could go on about the nuances of like COVID language, but it's, uh, that would require an entirely other episode. Uh, this would become part one of a 10 part series at that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm to that if we want to, if we want to do that. <laughs> I got time. I got nothing but time. I just need to be there for my test every other day and then I'm free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let me jump back to what I was saying. So yeah, yeah. with everything going on, um, with obviously the recent, you know, Jacob Blake shooting that happened um, in Wisconsin in the States, we're seeing a lot of NBA players or the NBA as a whole, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing the players taking a stand um, and kind of the, I guess, like the list of events, like it started with the NBA essentially like boycotting the games and the playoffs where they weren't going to play anymore and kind of shut down due to the Jacob Blake shooting as a way to, as a way to take a stand. Um, what we saw 24 hours later is the NBA players came to an agreement uh, to continue the rest of the playoffs with a few kind of agreements in place. So I'm just going to read out the agreements that I've seen so far, and then we can kind of talk about it collectively. Um, so one of them is to have civic engagement ads set um, to air during the rest of the playoffs, kind of to raise awareness for voter access and opportunity. Um, and then also seeing that they're going to opening this, they're going to open the stadiums that are currently vacant in each city for voting locations as well. Um, so yeah, I just want to kind of talk to you guys about how you felt when you saw the NBA was um, coming to that lockdown, and then how things kind of progressed and when they opened up again, and, and just your thoughts on on that current situation. Do you, you want to go first, Jerome? Yeah, uh, I mean, from a job standpoint. Uh, like imagine just people walked out on you as you were like planning everything like you you know when it comes to sports coverage you get so used to kind of the routine of it that something like this i mean we had it already when the nba shut down because of the pandemic and then now yeah. uh there was something like this and i think because of the recency of all these events happening from the same league we had no idea what was next i think the immediate reactions i remember seeing online was just you read something like um, LeBron is adamantly for closing the season and then everyone just saying, well, if LeBron's done, the season's over, that's it. Mm -hmm. But then hearing the meetings that came across afterward and how they talked through it and just understanding, you know, what they're really kind of putting on, on the line, just given where they were at, like the players association, I think were due for renewing their CBA. But, uh, if they cancel the rest of the season, that could cause such a divide with the owners that you would might you might be looking at a lockout next season. And if a lockout happens next season, now you're taking away everyone's jobs. Now you they lose the platform that they have had right now. Um, they lose their revenue that they could possibly be putting back into their communities. And I think they had to step back and kind of really figure out um, what what all of this would pan out to be and what was the best course of action. And I think coming out, especially, I think the part about, you know, converting the arenas to voting uh, spaces was pretty, was really huge. I read a third one um, about just how they're planning on now setting up a permanent justice coalition uh, devoted to addressing social justice issues, um, which is, I was actually surprised for a league that is as progressive as as the NBA, that they didn't have that already. I just kind of felt like they would mm. be the front runners for that sort of thing. Um, 
But I guess in some ways, it's always been a part of their players association embedded, but now it's more of a dedicated thing, which uh, you guys were talking about, I think, on one of your earlier podcasts, just the idea of like setting up a dedicated thing and how important it is to do that as opposed to, you know, having a having your existing entities kind of address it whenever they can, like to have full time Mm -hmm. dedication is such a big difference. And also just the idea of investing proper money into it. So that's huge. But man, it was a crazy time. And I think over the like you said it it's 24 hours like over the course of 24 hours you went from you know nothing's happening to everything might stop entirely to i guess it's coming back to like marrying the idea of you know how do i feel about it coming back and is it going to be mm-hmm. a good thing is it the right thing did they do the right thing are you know people would come out and like push it to the point of like are they selling out by doing this but then i think the important part is that they wanted to create actionable change and they actually had actions that came out of it so ultimately um I think it was both a really big moment because not only the NBA did it, but the WNBA followed and MLB and uh, MLS as well all at least uh, canceled games for, I think, a day or two. I don't know if you guys heard the story, but uh, in MLS, Real Salt Lake, their owner was on the radio uh, talking about when they protested and uh, had their um, stoppage of play. He said that he felt uh, personally attacked for it I, I forget the exact phrasing. Well, like he was personally offended about it, and um, and it made him consider whether it was worth owning that team, which was wow. like just wild. Uh, but that turned into a whole thing where immediately, like right now, within the time of him saying it, which I think was like Thursday, the day after uh, everything shut down on Wednesday. By the time I was watching the Toronto FC match, which was back and uh, operating on Friday, halfway through the match, they announced on the broadcast that. Uh, Real Salt Lake, the organization has announced a leave of absence for him. So like, it's it's wild. So I mean, on the one hand, you know, you do ask like, in such a short time, like how much could be accomplished, but you could see, um, like things did come out of it. And I think uh, it, it also was kind of for better or worse, a healthy reminder of, you know, this doesn't stop. I think they've done a good job since the bubble started to have all the signage and do all the kind of protesting. But again, it was like league sanctioned protesting, whether it was their jerseys, whether it was kneeling before the anthem. Uh, and you already saw it brewing because I think it was like Fred Van Vliet and Norm Powell who were in their scrums right before this all happened, talking about, you know, the Jacob Blake shooting happens. And now they're just in this place of like, are we really doing anything? I know we came back to have this platform and say that this wouldn't be a distraction, but nothing's changing out in the world. And um, and I think that really did drive uh, the Bucks ultimately to make that call for themselves. And uh, it, I mean, ultimately coming out of it, and obviously we can't judge it until we see how, like, what the long term effects are. But I think it was a great thing, and I was really impressed how it turned into actions almost immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I totally agree with that. And I, you know, I just want to jump back to one of the things that you said, Jerome. Um, because I, I, you know, reading comment sections about, you know, whenever something like this happens is just an absolute nightmare because you get to really see how some people like perceive the world and understand things. Right. So, um, in, in a post that I was, it might've been a bleacher report one, I don't know, but, um, you get tons of people, tons of people. And I mean like, like hundreds of people complaining about like, what is this actually going to do? How is this going to yeah. come? anything why are like these millionaires like protesting and stuff like that and it's like the thing that i don't really think that a lot of people understand is the is the effects of stuff like this 
you know, and, you know, it was the same people when, you know, they announced that they were going to resume play that they were like, oh, see, they didn't they didn't do anything and they just wanted the money involved. And the narrative just like switches, you know, so quickly uh, to a place that's totally irrelevant. But if you actually look at the, you know, within 24 hours, do you know how many conversations were had by, you know, for sure. Adam Silver, like, you know, league owners, like mm-hmm. players and all these people about doing these things. And then you see the, you know, the, the, the media buy where, you know, they're going to, you know, play ads showing, you know, raising awareness of voter access and, you know, these other opportunities. They're opening arenas up about, you know, that are, you know, will be accessible to everybody knowing that voter suppression in the United States is a serious issue that I don't think a lot of people are actually um, talking about as much. But now these conversations are starting to happen and you can kind of see it's like, well, you know, what is the what is the end goal? And I think a lot of people when they say, oh, what is this going to accomplish? They don't really know what the end goal, the end result or what they're working towards is. And I think that one of the biggest things, obviously, uh, with understanding this message of, you know, voter access and making the arenas, you know, voting locations and stuff is an obvious indicator that, you know, Donald Trump's got to go. And, you know, mm-hmm. they, want, they want people to be able to, to get them out. So when we look at, you know, the election that's going to come up in November and if he doesn't get elected, you know, knock on wood, hopefully he, he you know, doesn't get a second term for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. Right. It will be you can credit some of the um, some of the change to actions like these, which is crazy to me because it falls on the onus it's not on, you know, the president of the United States. It's not between any politicians. It's not between um, businesses. It's between the working people and, you know, whether they're millionaires or they're broke. It doesn't matter if you're still experiencing like this injustice and, you know, racial inequality. And I think, just think that like the nuances um, of like, what will this do? or what, How will this accomplish anything? Like, I just want to watch basketball and pretend that, problems don't happen like you see actionable change coming out of stuff like this it'll be really interesting to to see the effects um yeah, yeah you mentioned uh comments and uh one of the comments that i noticed a lot was well why don't i just boycott my office or boycott my job or boycott whatever it is that uh, is a part of that person's life and i remember hearing iman who's with the dishes and dimes podcast um, really great podcast. Um, all yeah, the podcast. podcast th- look, <laughs> hey, we're all out here. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, she just raises a good point of. Um, I remember her response being, "Well, trust me when I say you're not the LeBron James of your profession." Like, and I think what that's so am, important. <laughs> what if you? You know what? You guys are coming up. I, I shouldn't just like you know pull up this receipt on me uh, a couple of years down the line for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I guess but. You, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really interesting thinking of th- about it that way. And you know, Dak, you mentioned you know, rest in peace, Chadwick Boson. Um, he like to the general public, he'll probably be best known for Black Panther, right? Yeah. And I think what like whether whatever way you feel about the movie itself, I know it's Marvel, so it can be niche or um, people will have different feelings. But that was a movie that kind of existed in a larger way culturally than it was as a marvel movie or an mc movie and what was so huge about it was that it was also this example and representation of greatness like black greatness that 
the youth, but even like contemporaries can see and know that there's more. And I think um, while we have seen so many protests and uh, we have seen kind of different moments where we question what the effect of it is, I think maybe for like some of us adults who are kind of like jaded to the idea, I, I think there's real great value and impact in always having these images and moments because uh, like Dak, you and I, uh, I forget um, the specific joke, but the joke about how uh, for black people, their heroes are not Martin Luther King or Malcolm X, but Jay-Z, <laughs> Jay-Z right? Yeah. And oh, was it Ger- so, what was his name? Uh, the comedian Gerard Carmichael. Yeah, yeah. That's yes, Gerard Carmichael. Thank you. And, um, and it's, I think that's like something you kind of forget of, you know, when you think about sports moments and you think about generations afterward, are they going to be able to go back to look at the Muhammad Ali's or the Jackie Robinson's or, uh, any of the, um, ones who were prevalent during the civil rights movement, where if this is like, if this is the black community's movement right now, I think having these kind of representative players, and ones that are closer and tangible is really important for the long run in ways that maybe don't affect us because we're so close in age, but Ooh. definitely the generations afterward. And I think that's, that is an example that um, while it maybe it doesn't have the impact on me, I think it would have an impact long-term. I totally Absolutely. agree. I 100% agree with that. Like it's more than just like, I don't know when you have like the, the prominent figures, like I like the, I love the Jay-Z thing because it's like, you <laughs> know, joke. It's, it's, I don't even know where I was going with that, but I just think that like being able to like see representation, you know, in all facets of, of, you know, your own world is so important for like obvious reasons. And like, you I know, think there's a difference between seeing it in front of you as opposed to in a history book. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. It's happening in real time. Yeah. And I think that we also just forget like, the NBA is obviously largely comprised of young black men. So when something like this happens, like the Jacob Blake shooting, you really think they're not going to be an affected. You really think they're not going to be affected in a way where they're going to want to try to push for change, you know, knowing that they have the position that they have, where they have millions of people watching them. It really allows them to group together and say, Hey, let's like speak on this. Let's actually do something versus, you know, a bunch of coworkers sitting together and saying, hey, we can do something. It's a different impact. You know what I mean? Like if I know that I have millions of people watching me, I think I'm going to push for something a bit harder. Um, And that's not to say that, you know, the group of people with thousands of followers shouldn't do anything, but Mm -hmm. there's more eyes on the NBA players, right? It's tough too, because it's like when you think of it, like that's a a large burden to put on, you know, black men, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, you think of guys who are just entering the league now and like, it's like, yeah, you spent your whole life, you know, playing basketball and, you know, getting to this moment, but like, you got to realize that now you have a sense of responsibility because mm-hmm. you're not pushing for it. You know what I mean? Like not a lot of people will, there's not a lot of opportunities for like black people to, you know, be able to own this, this stage and communicate some of these things, you know, despite obviously driving the entire entertainment business, but right. it's, uh, you know, often people look at, uh, you know, athletes or celebrities, like black athletes and celebrities. I mean, um, and whenever they say something they're you know, people are like, Oh, like this, this guy doesn't have any problems. He's like a millionaire. He, he doesn't experience any of this stuff. It's like, well, like he's a, he's a person too. He or she, uh, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know, they're now having to be met with like stuff like this and, and pushing the agenda and pushing for change. 
And they um, haven't been we, millionaires actually, their whole life either. So right. Um, can we like divert just for a quick moment, just because I want to shout out the WNBA? Yeah. Because course. we we do talk about I think, and I think it has to be true, especially for men's sports that the NBA probably leads the charge in terms of being progressive and kind of speaking on these issues. But, you know, and I mean, Mark Me also is kind of being ignorant to it um, up until all this was going on. But just when you look at the WNBA, uh, they are starting to get a lot more notice for what they're doing. And not just in terms of what they're doing now, but how they've always actually been leaders in that. Uh, and, and it actually goes for like a lot of um, women's sports. Like there's the National Women's Soccer League who uh, did the first basically like bubble situation before any of these leagues, including the NBA started um, and did oh, it successfully. Wow. And when it comes to like the WNBA, I, I was kind of diving into um, just because like knowing we were coming here for this to talk about it. You know, they've been at it since at least 2016, if not earlier than that, um, doing these things, uh, having the black warm-ups, um, kneeling before the anthem, not just talking about BLM, but also LGBTQ. And it's also pretty prevalent in how they did it. I, I pulled up this quote from an article I was reading that I thought was uh, really just like in terms of adding perspective about how much they could be sacrificing. And um, it was somebody like LeBron James does not have to worry about his livelihood being threatened by his activism as opposed to, you know, a WNBA player who we already know is being paid significantly less, who may be marginalized for taking a stand around these issues, and whose career could frankly be threatened by speaking up around these issues. I think, um, like, right now we're in this, like, post-Colin Kaepernick world where we think, it, we know it's pretty safe that, like, brands are not about to cut an athlete for their, um, for being outspoken. But it wasn't the case. But when you talk about some of these WNBA NBA players or uh, just women athletes in general, where um, their value to a brand like could be questioned more so than like the impact of say LeBron James or even just like a high one like Serena Williams. So yeah, they're putting out a lot of risk and going into this season, like they're back and they're playing and, you know, you see the players uh, kneeling for the anthem, but then I saw the WNBA in their first game back. They just walked out. They walked out into oh, the wow. back during the anthem they stayed back there until it was over and then they came back to the court to play and it's just like the fact that it seems like such an obvious thing to do in your mind like of course that seems like the perfect thing to do but no one does it and i think that really is a credit to them um another one too uh f i think for the atlanta dream their um their owner has been outspoken about being against blm and she, uh, Kelly Loeffler, she's a U.S. senator, and before the uh, game, her own players came off the bus w uh, wearing T-shirts to vote against her, like vote against their own owner. That's, which cra I think is like, that's crazy, right? And yeah, like you're talking. I'm, I'm, and this is not to like kind of be like a measuring of like who's doing better or worse, but just like the very specific ways that they have done stuff. And then now, with the recent, um, you know, with Jacob Blake, right? They came mm -hmm. to the court with their own shirts. Um, a group of them had on the front, uh, the letters to spell out Jacob Blake, but each of them, uh, they were white t-shirts on the back. They painted on seven bullet wounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? And it's just, um, yeah, I just, I feel like obviously the conversation has been so much about the NBA, but if, if we're coming here to talk about it, we have to shout out the WNBA who have been leaders the whole time through this. Yeah. So, 
Sorry, I just want to jump in there for for a second. I I know none of us are experts in in this space, but I'm curious why you think there's such a big difference in terms of the WNBA being um, earlier to do all of that and and being a bit more, you know, impactful and direct with their messaging versus the NBA. Do we think it's because the amount of eyes on it and sponsors behind the NBA where they might be a little hesitant to to move that certain way? Or what are your Um, thoughts there? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't know that any of that necessarily plays in, but I think it mm. kind of comes down into to like outside of the larger Black Lives Matter movement, like they are Black women, right? Yeah. So they are facing even further scrutiny for their gender on top of their race, and so I think that has driven them to certain points in terms of wanting to be more outspoken, and I think it's also because they had started so early on and we do actually see it too. Like it happened with um, uh, like when Trayvon Martin happened and the uh, Miami heat with LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, um, Udonis Haslam and the whole team uh, kind of like started to begin their path in terms of becoming activists. Mm-hmm. But back then it was such a like new thing to them. Right. And they were young guys. Like we were talking about, like these are young people who are still figuring out themselves on top of like the larger society around them. And yeah. you, you forget that just because they excel like at the top 1% level in their field, you can't expect them to be perfect at everything or know everything. Like they're geniuses in their own rights, but they aren't necessarily geniuses when it comes to social justice. Like that's something they need to learn over time. And I think um, that like really it's getting to my answer of, you know, it takes time to be good at this. I think what when we came into this um, and you guys were talking about it in your early episodes about, you know, being an ally or anything like that, I think, you know, it requires work. And I, I kind of liken it almost to like, if you were to kind of have a lifestyle change in your diet, like you're always going to have slip ups and you're always going to have cheat days, but like, how do you get yourself to a position where it becomes like kind of naturally ingrained in you to um, do these sort of things? And I think when it comes to being an advocate for social justice and specifically for the black lives matter movement. Like um, even right now where Jacob Blake happens, it's not like the league or anyone else jumped on it until groups who are more seasoned and more into it and more, I guess you could say about it uh, were already acting upon it and kind of being those leaders in those charges. And I think Mm -hmm. um, because the WNBA has been doing it for so long, it, you know, once they came into this bubble, it was like, like hold my beer like we'll show you how you do this and i think i think that plays into it too absolutely do you have any you have any thoughts there malik on the difference between wa and nba honestly uh probably you know to simplify it and you know expand off jerome's answer i think it's literally just like because women have it harder and like these the women playing in the WNBA like have struggled definitely more to get to where they are and even still struggle. Right. And I think that just like the impact that, that they've been having over, you know, the last like four years, like I love the analogy of like the the changing the diet, but I think that like as, as women, it, you know, in positions of power, I just think that, uh, it, 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 it's, uh, it like, I'm having a hard time articulating what I'm trying to say, but I just Mm -hmm. feel like, you were like you were saying jerome like you know lebron james Dwayne wade and all those guys like on the miami heat back in the day definitely have experienced things their whole life leading up to the moment but like they that's when they really learned how to become activists you know women kind of have to be activists their entire lives if that kind of makes sense i mean 
stripping the skin color away and everything like that as mm-hmm. well. I just feel like it's, uh, you There's know, so many more ways they're marginalized. 100%. Yeah, and I absolutely. That, that's forced them to be like, okay, now we have a platform and like, you know, it's a little bit more established and they've done it a lot more over time than, than maybe the NBA would. Not to discredit anything else that, you know, any efforts that other organizations are doing, but that's kind of my explanation as to why they're probably a little bit ahead of the curve than everybody else. What about you? No, I think you, I think you guys have really, you know, covered it. I think for me, I was this has been an educational moment for me because I, I actually, you know, I haven't been um, that educated on what the WNBA has been doing. So just learning about kind of how early they've been doing these kind of social justice movements and um, a bit of the differences, I think, yeah, that's kind of where my mind is shifting as I've really just been listening to you guys and seeing what I can understand from that conversation. To be honest, I mean, the WNBA is something like I don't really consume too much content from them, but like, yeah, because they're doing this kind of stuff, it's it's 100% catching my attention and it's, it's forcing me to like learn a little bit more. And, you know, I'll be completely open and honest. Like you were saying, Jerome, it's a, uh, a journey, right? So like For you sure, have to yeah. continuously be learning and, you know, I don't, uh, you know, Doc, like, you know, we're both intelligent guys. Like we can, we can look into this, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, straight up. And shouldn't feel bad about it, but. I don't know. What do you guys think about? So b- before we were talking about like the like the bunch of different leagues, like the NFL, the MLB, like sort of following suit a little bit on the. Um, I don't want to call it boycott. I'm going to call it a strike. But mm-hmm. uh, the NHL is like obviously continues to be behind the times. Um, I think that same day when you know uh, the, all the players decided that they weren't going to be playing the game. I think it was last Thursday, maybe. Um, the NHL continue to play their playoff games, you know, that night without any sort of statement or message. What do you guys think about that? Give me your hot takes. Um, they just continue to be <laughs> behind the curve and in ways that, um, yeah, I'll put it this way. I think when George Floyd happened, uh, for better or worse, it was a wake-up call for a lot of us, especially those of us who felt that we weren't racist but weren't necessarily being anti-racist. And I think at that time, I was willing to give the benefit of the doubt to anyone who was just like acknowledging that they were so far behind the times. But how long has it been since then, since he's been murdered? And how does it take you this long? I mean, if you can set up a a bubble that protects like a whole league of people from covid but you couldn't figure out how to be just like in any way an ally and um i mean like again i mean the toronto maple leafs those are also one of the teams that are under the company that i work for and i know they have been trying some stuff um but i would say just as a person of color i i definitely demand more than that um and I think, I think that's like the interesting part because when I think about Black Lives Matter, obviously it's a global issue, but it is rooted in the U.S. And even when I look at how all the actions that are taking place right now, like take even the NBA, for example, it is very U.S. centric. Like creating mm-hmm. voting centers right now aren't, isn't exactly going to change anything in Canada specifically. No. Yeah. Right. And, and so you know, a lot of the arguments against it is just like, well, it's much worse in the U.S., which is true. I, I mean, 
but that's also not to say that um problems don't exist here exactly and so but then this is the part that i was kind of like thinking about especially in a sports landscape what is canada's sport hockey and it is the most problematic so tell me mm. that there isn't a problem in canada mm-hmm. like, and yeah so yeah. i think man the nhl <laughs> i just it's very difficult it's one thing with the fan base it's obviously it it steers extremely white and also older generations very conservative mm-hmm. um so there's that end but it is so disheartening i i can't like i don't even want to get to the comments at that point because it's just like okay i already know this is gonna be just trash yeah. but i mean to even see the few um people of color in the league feeling like they have absolutely no support when you see early on when they came back and someone neil and others would just not do anything and there was always like either like the holding hands or the hand on shoulder and it's clear that it's either they aren't really about it or they feel that they don't have enough knowledge about it to be able to know what to do but i don't know after all this time if any of that is good reason yeah, I, I think I, I think you nailed it, man. Like, it's there's no there's no excuses anymore. Like, once the statement was made month ago, you know that was supposed to be like, okay, you get one of these. You know what I mean? You get we'll give the benefit of the doubt to the people who don't know, which is you know whatever it is, what it is. But now, like, this is just to me. Like, I love hockey. Like, I I love it, but it's just yeah. like so hard to like you know, continue to consume like NHL content when it's like, I know that league one doesn't give a shit about me or my viewership. Um, but I just see, you know, how they support their, their own athletes in efforts like this. And it's just, uh, you know, it's sad. It's, it's disheartening is probably like the best way to, to word it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I was seeing social, like I don't, I don't really follow hockey. I don't know that many players, but I was seeing social posts of like Bleacher Report where I guess they were interviewing um, some some of the current black hockey players, saying that they wish their their organization, you know, would do something about this. But I think they just know that their voice is a bit muffled because obviously they're not in the majority by by far. You know, the top yeah. hockey players from from what I understand are definitely not black. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you can liken that to, you know, a lot of different just organizations outside of sports where, you know, if there's two black people in the office and and something racist happens, it's hard for them to push for change because no one else is really seeing it the same way. Right. Um, So I definitely think other people resonate with where the NHL kind of is right now, where the majority is is white and they're kind of like, everything is cool. Let's just, you know, be athletes and play the sport. And it's like, no, there's a deeper situation that's happening right now that that you're ignoring kind of wild though i i was talking to uh a colleague of mine a friend uh who who is black and it was just this idea of like when things like this were happening um it almost felt like any black employee and especially in places where they were a minority almost Mm -hmm. like had capital like they could say anything and everyone would just be so careful to total line that they would accept whatever they said or did or like demanded um in a way in a way right and just because like you never would want to be classified as a racist or anything like that, like especially during these recent months. And yet with the NHL, it's like they don't care. 
Like it doesn't matter how they get feel like they're being represented on that front, whether they're prominent black athletes are speaking out against it, whether like they don't care about their language, they don't care about any action. And like, that's like, for me, the real disheartening part of just, you know, when you talk about systemic and just the lack of accountability or just the feeling so emboldened that you just don't feel like you ever need to do anything <laughs> like that's, that's jarring. Um, but at the same time, also weirdly not surprising. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's expected. It's the status quo. Right. And that's, that's the toughest part. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I was, um, I was thinking about is, is this is like a question to you guys, but does Nike create the jerseys for the NHL? Are they involved uh, with that league at all or no? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I guess one thing I was thinking is like, could a brand almost like Nike that's in, heavily involved in the NBA in that space, like could they right. almost force the NHL to act a certain way, you know, due to the sponsorship? I don't know. I think right now, so though. we got Adidas, it looks like. Oh, it's Adidas. Okay. As a group. Yeah. Mm. And we know like Adidas has had their kind of on and off. Um, situations about that like they're they're kind of catching up too it feels like yeah it's just uh i don't know i don't know if to be honest i don't think that like you're talking about if they were like pull a sponsorship or something like that or like make a statement like that against the organization right yeah yeah i don't know to be honest like like them playing on the fence is like bad enough but i don't think if they were, I think if they were going to pull a sponsorship or something like that, like it would need to be something that's like overtly specific, um, explicit. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I don't think anything like that has happened like enough to force something like that to, to discontinue a sponsorship as messed up as that sounds. But I think that we'll need to wait to see for, you know, to see if there's anything else that comes out. That's a little bit more like overtly like, uh, yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah. I think um, it also goes down to the question that always needs to be asked for this sort of thing of how far are you willing to go? Well, like, actually, the first question is how far do you realize you would need to go to really be about it? And are you willing to do it? And I think um, especially for things like these, like big brands or big leagues, like there is a ton of money and what you what could be like the livelihood of employees and just so many different things like ripple effects that come from it that uh, they simply may not feel they're able to afford to do. And I think, yeah, I don't have the answer for it. Like I'm not about to tell anyone, you know, you need to do this, but I think any company or brand does need to look at themselves and actually set in their mind how far they're willing to go. I think you summed that up perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, this has definitely been an amazing conversation with you, Jerome. I think we can, you know, try to wrap things up here. Is there, is there anything you want to to close with or to share with our huge audience? <laughs> millions <laughs> um, of people. To the millions of people, uh, please understand that I would not be here without Dak Turner. Oh, um, oh. I met him uh, back at Humber. This is why I'm on the podcast today. Uh, this is why we're boys now. Um, Tell them. But, but no, no, for real, like... Uh, you know, one, it's funny, like I work in video production, right? And 
So in some ways you kind of think like, oh, there's not necessarily a connection between that and marketing. But when you do video production for a team or a brand, like you are marketing for them. Like you're providing some of the most uh, impactful, like visual stimulants in terms of representing anything. And I think uh, like really shout out to the Mad Mix. I've been listening to it uh, like from the start, but also just like very intently over the last couple of months and just the different things in terms of just kind of being that check for brands and looking into what's performative, what isn't, or like even the value of maybe having performative content. Um, and then on top of it, just taking your um, show and kind of expanding outside of marketing. And because of obviously how important and um, uh, personal it is to you guys uh, to talk about how organizations um, handle what's been happening in terms of diversity and representation and social justice because i think ultimately if you work for an agency or a brand um yeah we can look at the final product and what's getting put out there but i think we're realizing very quickly the most important part is having a core structure that represents it so you know when you put stuff out there you're really about it and uh, i just love that you guys dive into it and i love listening and i'll keep on listening well said We love you, man. (laughs) Awesome. So that's episode 16. Uh, Take it easy, guys. We're out of here. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter.